0: Bow with me. Father, as we approach your word, we do so reminding that you want to speak to our hearts. You want to talk to us, Father, about who you are, about who we are. I pray, Father, we would listen. We would hear and we would see what you have for us today in your word. And Father, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We had some friends who had a cat, and the cat died. They also had a four-year-old little girl. Uh, You know, things like that can be pretty traumatic for four-year-olds. So the mom tried to figure out how she should explain this to her daughter. (coughs) So she sat her down and uh, she said, Tabby's in heaven. now." This little four-year-old girl, she looked back at her mom and she said, what would God want with a dead cat? (laughs) Kids have a way of cutting through the clutter, don't they? Getting to the heart of, uh, of the matter. They look at what they know, And then they put everything into perspective given what they know. What is it you know? What is it you know for sure, without a doubt? And what difference does what you know make in your life? john brings us to this exact focal as he closes out his letter right down to what you and i as believers in jesus christ know and the difference it makes in our lives think that through john wants us to realize that christianity is a knowledge-based faith. Now that may rattle some of your preconvictions, preconceptions. I understand it runs counter to, counter to the populist opinion, but it's true. What we know determines everything. Let me repeat that. What we know as believers in Jesus Christ determines everything. So as we close out this letter, let's do so asking the question, what do we know and how do we know it? Let's look at how first. How do we know what we believe is right? How? Uh, A Christian knows because he or she believes the testimony, the evidence uh, that has been given about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we know, it's it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He is the the object of our faith. We've talked about that. In fact, we talked about it last time. He is the object of our faith. And John here under the inspired hand of the Holy Spirit lays out a series of testimonies about why we believe what we believe. Look at verses 6 and 7, the, the testimony of, of the water, the blood, and the spirit. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water and only but by water and blood and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth for there are three that testify the spirit the water and the blood and these three agree three testimonies as to why we believe what we believe as to how we believe what we believe the water here is the water of jesus baptism Think back, it makes a a powerful statement, uh, uh, Matthew 3, 13 and following. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, A voice from heaven said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased that's a testimony isn't it it's a it's a statement it's proof that Jesus is who he says he is the voice of the father and the the descending presence of the Holy Spirit all three members of the Trinity were present making a statement an evidentiary statement Then what about the testimony of the blood This is a reference to the cross Matthew 27 verse 51 and following And behold the curtain of the temple was was torn in two from from top to bottom and the and the earth shook and the rocks were split The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So Jesus wasn't the only one resurrected. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, This was the Son of God. A statement, testimony, evidence. What about the the testimony of the Spirit? Here we have the, the continuing testimony of the Holy Spirit declaring who Jesus is. Look at John 16, verse 13. Jesus is talking. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it unto you. Three testimonies. Evidence uh, proving that we can know for certain that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Proof that the cross has the power of God for salvation, yours and mine. Proof that our lives can be changed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the Apostle John doesn't really stop there with those three testimonies, those those three points of evidence. He he, he offers a fourth testimony. He says, if we receive the testimony of men, this is verse 9, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son has a testimony in himself himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Man's testimony uh, referenced here is the the testimony of those who were were present and and saw the events as, as they unfolded, the centurion we just heard from, the the two women who were the first to go to the tomb on that Resurrection Sunday. They saw Jesus. They were surprised. They didn't expect to see Jesus, but they saw Jesus while the uh, men hid in the upper room, afraid. The apostles, a few at a time. The skeptic, Thomas. Then the apostles all together. And then 500 all all at once, testimony, evidence, proof, fit for a court of law. Historically, there are a number of occasions when people have taken the resurrection to to court in an attempt to disprove it. Cynics who wanted to disqualify the resurrection once and for all, to shut it up and shut it down. Listen to this. On every occasion when it's been taken to court it has been proven by sheer preponderance of the evidence that the resurrection did indeed happen. The uh, evidence allows for no other legal conclusion. I doubt if you've ever heard of Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He was the, the royal professor of law at Harvard one of the greatest legal minds to have ever lived. And he affirms the resurrection. I didn't want to, he didn't, at first he didn't. He, he wrote uh, a, a volume of books entitled A Treatise on the Law of Evidence. It took him 11 years, 1842 to 1853, to write those books. You can still buy them today, by the way, on Amazon. Look it up and order your own. They cost $350. Dr. Simon Greenleaf was uh, schooled in liberal thought. He he believed the resurrection was was a hoax. So he set out to disprove the, the resurrection once and for all. But after examining the evidence, Dr. Greenleaf came to exactly the opposite conclusion. And in response, he wrote a book affirming the resurrection in which he emphatically stated it was impossible that the the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. He then went on to become an apologist, arguing for the truth of Christianity. Folks, as believers, we don't hold to a blind faith. I know that that's what liberalism and pluralism has has crammed down our throats, but it's not true. We hold to a a credible faith, a a faith that is proven forensically by, by evidence and testimony. It is, in fact, the skeptics who are blind. They are the ones who hold to a a blind skepticism. They refuse to see the evidence that's there, what is so clearly validated. Christianity is built on a faith that is proven and knowable. And that's exactly what John is talking about here. How much clearer can it be than verses 9 and 10? If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony of God in himself. Whoever does not believe him has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his his, uh, son. We've talked about how everything pivots on Jesus Christ. He is the the object of, Of our faith yes Christianity is a knowledge based faith we believe what we believe because it's based on the evidence but don't stop there there is yet another proof mentioned in this text so in fact there are five proofs mentioned that we know what we believe is true this final truth uh, this final proof is a little more evident a little more personal Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. We know the truth of God because of what takes place in our lives. We know because our faith changes us. Once we accept Jesus Christ, a a change begins to take place, a, a transformation A change that impacts our hearts and moves our lives from the the rule of sin to the the reign of God. Believers do not become sinless. No, we still sin, but as we submit to God's truth, as, as we obey God's truth, sin begins to lose its power over our lives. There are new hopes and and, and new desires and and, and new priorities and, and new expectations. All changed by the presence of God in our lives. In his hymn, He Lives, Alfred Aukley says, He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. How many have sang that? What a great song, huh? Salvation is a change that allows Christ to work in our lives. Transforming who we are and, and what we do. It isn't some cosmetic religious change. It's a real change with, with real ramifications. Yes, we have proof, forensic proof, personal proof, two specific ways, through a variety of means, that we know what we believe is right. Make no mistake, Christianity is a knowledge-based faith. What we believe is based on what we know. It's not some hope, not some blind thing. It's an open-eyed, seeing thing. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, but there's 15 verses here. And in those 15 verses, the word know appears seven times. Seven times. What do you think John wants us to get out of this? John wrote it so that you and I might know the facts. And in knowing the facts, we would realize that the the truth of God leads to true fellowship, a, a true relationship with him. This is a supposition we started this sermon series with, isn't it? The truth of God leads to true fellowship, a true relationship with him. And this is exactly what he says In verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of God that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. How contrary all this is from the populist view of salvation, of God, of Christianity as a whole. Accused of having a blind faith, being, being stupid, being, being slow, being superstitious. This is how we're seen, but it's not true. As a boy, I remember grimacing when somebody would say, Are you saved? I would think, how can you know until you die? How can you know you're saved until you die? How can you know you're good enough until you get there? How can you know you've done enough until you hand it in? How can I know I have salvation until the process is finalized? Notice where each of those arguments begins. They begin and end with me. What I do and what I don't do. But salvation is not my work on my behalf. It's God's work through Jesus Christ on my behalf. A work proven by a a preponderance of the evidence. Salvation is all about Jesus, who he is and what he did. All you and I have to do is accept it. Accept the fact that Jesus Christ died. As our substitute on the cross. As, as your substitute on the cross. Salvation is not, not some iffy thing. It's a, a, a knowable certainty. It is a gift given that needs to be received by faith. Trusting in God for who he is. For what he did. What we know about Jesus Christ. Brings confidence to uh, to our faith when when it's not about us but about him everything changes why because though i may fail he doesn't amen verse 14 and this is the confidence that we have towards him but if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in Whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Our confidence is not in and of ourselves. Our confidence is in him. It's it's a present knowledge with, with present impact, fully determinative in our lives. All religions except one are workspace. We're going to have to earn things. Only Christianity is a a, a grace-based salvation. All the other ones are saying, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Have I worked hard enough? Am I sincere enough? How can I know? Fact is, if it rests on you, you can't. I want you to understand what I'm saying clearly. There are churches heavy with religious trappings all over the state, all over the the nation, all over the world, that do not teach the true gospel. They teach a salvation of works. Do this, do that, be this, be that. And if you do, you will earn your way to heaven. But this is not what scripture teaches. This is not what John teaches. It's not what John talks about here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You can know without a doubt. You can know for certain that you have a secure relationship with the Lord. God has given all the evidence necessary to know that Jesus is the Christ. All you and I have to do is to receive it, to accept it. Question, do you know Jesus Christ? Personally and in a a life-changing way? This is what salvation is and this is what salvation does. I don't know if you recognize the name Francis Collins. You might, uh, given what we've been through in the past few years, uh, his uh, credentials and accomplishments are are renowned in the scientific community. He headed up the Human Genome Project. A scientist of scientists. He then served as the director of the National Institutes of Health. As such, he was directly over Dr. Fauci. But listen to this. In 2007, he wrote a New York Times bestseller entitled The Language of God, in which he tells his story as as uh, his work as a a world-renowned scientist and his journey from atheism to Jesus Christ. Though as a scientist, Collins is uh, thoroughly committed to rational inquiry and the scientific method, God began to speak to him through through other people and through nature. As a medical student, Collins reasoned it's far more, and I quote, convenient not to have to deal with god But then one of his patients told him about her faith and asked what about you? What do you believe In his own words He says I stuttered and stammered And felt the the color rising in my faith and I said well I don't think I believe in anything. But it suddenly seemed like a very thin answer. And it was unsettling. At this, Dr. Collins began searching. He began looking at things a little differently. This included... uh, a series of consultations with a, with a pastor and a, a dive into the writings of C.S. Lewis. Listen to Dr. Collins' description of his final life-changing encounter. I had to make a choice. A full year had passed since I decided to believe in, in some sort of God. And now I was being called to account. As I was hiking in the Cascade Mountains, the the majesty and the beauty of God's creation overwhelmed my resistance. As I rounded a corner and saw a, a beautiful and unexpected frozen waterfall hundreds of feet high, I knew my search was over. The next morning, I knelt in the dewy grass as the sun rose and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Christianity is all about rational inquiry and the the scientific method. I, I know the world would tell you something different, but it's not true. It's all about knowledge, factual knowledge, evidentiary knowledge about who the Lord is And how he changes our lives all the way around. As we close this series on 1 John. My question is not whether he is the Lord. My question for each of us this morning is, is he your Lord? The Lord of of your life. It's, It's a huge question, isn't it? a life-defining question. So as I close in prayer, ask yourself, is he my Lord? Bow with me. Father, we all too often play religious games, all sorts of religious games going to church, tithing, praying. Religious games, Father. But it's all meaningless. Your desire has never been religion. It's always been about relationship, our relationship with you. It's all about placing our faith, our trust, in your son, Jesus Christ, in his work on the cross, Father. I pray if there are those here this morning that have seen the evidence given and would like to respond, that they would speak to us after the service, Father. I ask this morning, you will drive that question I asked about, is he my Lord? into each of our hearts. Is he my Lord? And Father, I pray this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.